What's up, people? This episode is sponsored by Lucia Rivers Harry, nutritionist, chemical engineer, and director of Nutrition is Medicine, a nutrition online business specializing in microbiome and nutrigenomic testing, consulting, nutrition plans, and the NIM Learning Hub membership. Lasia believes gut health and the interaction of key genes is fundamental to the root cause of health issues and resolving those issues. Lucia is offering all Primodcast subscribers and listeners 10% off all microbiome and gene testing packages. Get on it, people. Simply add Primod at checkout and the discount will apply. I'll attach a link in the description of this podcast. Now, on today's episode, the podcast is back. It's been a while. I took a month off, uh, but it's good to be back now. Uh, my guest, Lucia. So Lucia is a good friend of mine. She's been on the show before. For those of you who don't know, Lucia is a chemical and biomedical engineer and nutritionist and director of Nutrition is Medicine, a nutrition online business specializing in microbiome and nutrigenomic DNA testing, consulting and nutrition plans based all on gut and gene findings. Lucia also has an online membership called NIM Learning Hub, which by the way is extremely informative. It focuses on health topics, deep dives into topics such as glyphosate, mold, fertility, and is developing a gene and microbiome wellness transformation pathway for those who are keen to understand and apply the fundamentals of gut health, genetics, and the environment into their lives. She's also a mum of two, Brisbane-based, and as I said, good friend of mine. She's been on the show, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, podcasting, podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. When we do it, but um, God, I forget what it was. Um, you know, it's very hard. You know, like when you, I, I feel like sometimes I've only got a certain amount of capacity mentally and it's like i need to erase some things to, to learn more my brain is so full I'm like <laughs> yeah, i really same. want to learn about this but i'm still you know learning about this and i just can't i'm at the point yep. now i'm like i, I need to like somehow like defragment <laughs> my brain and just yeah, 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 some space. Yeah. i'm exactly the same chris i'm exactly the same where i'm i i spent about a month deep diving into gut issues like ibs and SIBO through a really good naturopath who does a very very in-depth um, practitioner course on it. And that was hours and hours. And then uh, then I started doing the mastermind with MTHFR Australia into, um, you know, uh, methyl- methylation pathways and, and genetics and all this stuff. And now I feel like my brain's going to explode trying to remember everything. <laughs> so. It's so much. You know what? There's so much. I've found the more, because look, I've never been big on like fad diets. Like I've tried them. Um, in particular, I really tried the, a plant-based diet a few years ago, more so just to get a few things under control. Like I had high blood pressure at the time, so I wanted to get that under control. And I heard that by eliminating red meat, well, meat in general, um, it reduces your blood pressure, which it did. Um, I did it for a few months and it really did it help the blood pressure. I lost a lot of weight, but I also lost, I lost a lot of body fat, but I also lost a lot of muscle mass um, yep. to the end where I sort of didn't look, I didn't look healthy. I didn't look good. Even my wife was saying, oh, you know, you need to put a bit of weight back on. So, and I lost a lot of strength. I just didn't feel good. So um, I have tried plant-based diets. I've, I've tried keto. Keto was extremely difficult. Um, I was much younger though when I tried that. So I'd probably do better now that I'm a bit more disciplined. But 
Um, you know, I'm very <laughs> yeah, interested yeah. in nutrition, but there's so there's so many contradictions in that yes, space. Yes, there is. Yes, there is, and I think that it's it's actually overwhelming because I was talking to a friend the other day, and because I've deep dived as I was telling you into perimenopause and menopause, and a lot of women really don't understand any of that space. They just think that when they turn fifty, they'll just stop getting a period, and that's the end of it, basically. But it's it's not. It's a whole journey from your 40s onwards and it can take 10 years to go through all that and there's a lot of moving parts yes there is and in that time you have to change your lifestyle habits and you have to change your eating habits and uh one of the biggest strategies to combat all the perimenopause symptoms like those you know hot flashes and all those you know anxiety all these things go out just go crazy is intermittent fasting um and I follow a really good doctor from the US, Dr. Mindy Peltz, who teaches that for women in perimenopause and menopause. And she explains it so well that I have really taken that and, and coached my people in my membership through that because it's incredibly helpful and so important for people to understand that process. And that because, you know, as you know, a lot of we're, we're now having kids later in life. And so yes. you're seeing a lot of people have kids late 30s early 40s and biologically speaking we probably shouldn't be doing that because in actual fact women start going start will start having perimenopause then and the problem is um you're then accelerating your stress in your life rather than decelerating stress because you're supposed to transition out of a really busy hectic lifestyle with the kids and raising little ones and running around after little ones and all this stuff to really slowing down and simplifying your life at a certain age you should after your 40s you should be really ramping down not ramping up because it does because your hormones will change all on their own and they yeah. don't and they don't function well if you're in a really stressed state i couldn't imagine starting you know having children at you know in your 30s like i've got five and oh, five kids right but i'm 29 and i have my my son who's 13 uh, in a few months, obviously, I was very young. I was like sixteen when he was born. So. Oh yeah, you did have a really early. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's been good. Like I've had a great time with them, and I'm you know I'm young enough and fit enough to run around with them and and have fun and like we we like similar things, similar sports, similar movies, and it's good now. But I couldn't. But now I had a my daughter now. I think she's eight or nine months, nine months, eight months, and um, it's a bit different now than what it was. <laughs> when I had the kids when I was a bit younger, right? Like I, I'm so much busier now than I was as well. So um, yeah. I've got to find a lot more time. And, and but in saying that, um, obviously being um, terminated from my job back in August last year um, and working primarily from home since then, um, I've got a great bond with her. Um, I haven't, you know, we're really close and, um, you know, she's daddy's girl. Whereas the other, the other kids I was working, like, you know, typical 40, 40 plus hours a week. And I was never at home. So I don't have that the same connection with them that I do with my youngest now. So that's a great thing, but I couldn't imagine starting. Like if I was, if this was my first child, I couldn't imagine having five now. Like there's no way. <laughs> yeah, no exactly. Way. I mean, cause I, I can imagine when you were 16 or 17 and had your first child, you probably, it was probably overwhelming because you were, you were, you were a teenager. You were still a kid, you know, you were still growing yourself, but you probably didn't feel the level of um, of tiredness that you do now with the kids, you know. Well, you know what's like, funny? This is this is it's quite funny. So I feel better today than I did when I was twenty one. 
I feel fantastic. I have a lot more energy today than I did back then, mainly because of my diet and just um, mm. not just diet, but even my habits. Like I don't eat as much shit as I did when I was younger, and yeah. Um, yeah. I prioritize yeah. my own mental and physical health. It's it's something that's right at the top of my priority list. Whereas when I, when you're 21, you know you don't who gives a fuck, right? You just do what you want. You go out drinking all <laughs> weekend, and I couldn't do yeah. it now. I wouldn't wake up. I'd be in a coma if I was oh, to, yeah. to behave the way but- I did when I was 18, 19. But that's the thing, like your own maturity and even just lifespan forces you to slow down because you don't recover the same. Like, you know that. There's no way you could force yourself to do that. Like, I had my first child when I was 31 and I, was, I went into it really healthy and fit because I was competing in bodybuilding comps and I was dieting through, like, paleo diets. I was really clean with my whole lifestyle. So I didn't – I recovered really fast and I didn't feel uh, – really that tired or anything I felt fine then at 35 I had my second child and I wasn't exercising anywhere near as much anymore I had gone back to uni I was working and I had a three-year-old and it was like 10 times harder to go through the pregnancy to recover from it and even now I'm three years postpartum which sounds like a long time but I'm still recovering from it you know, it's just yeah. way, like I'm, I'll be 38 this year and I'm finding it way harder to find the energy to keep up with the kids. And, and my husband's the same. And often we're just like, oh my God, these kids are just nonstop. I need to be outside playing all day long. And we, and, but, but our battery's gone by the end of the afternoon, you know? So it's yeah. kind of that, you know. How old's your, we, how old's your husband? He's the same age as me. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I think it is that you do you do slow down as you get a little bit older. And I think a lot of it as well as you sort of, you're aware of your own mortality, right? I mean, when you're younger, yes. you don't even think about dying or you don't think about consequences of actions. You just do it. You just do whatever you want to do. And as you get a little bit older, you realize shit, maybe, you know, if I do this, I can do it, but then I'll feel like shit for two days afterwards or, and you, you know, you realize that you're definitely not invincible. Yeah. Um, and that sort of happens. What happened for me sort of in my mid twenties, I started being more conscious about things that I wouldn't have really thought about yeah. Yeah. when I was a bit younger. Same. So it's a weird transition 20 to 30 because it's not a great deal of time. It's 10 years, but I think it's just that time period of that age where you really change, you know, the way you think well, changes. It's, it's yeah. Well, exactly. Because apparently you don't fully mature in your brain until about 25. So is that for men so, and women? I've heard I, that men so would, mature later on. Men do. Yeah. It's probably more so for men than women. Um, but we don't make good, and it's a brain development thing. We don't tend to make good decisions until closer to age 25 because we just haven't developed to that, to that point yet. Um, and so, and I think, I think some people develop slower than others. I don't think we're all at the same pace. No, I think it's, I think some people are different. It depends what, and it really depends what your childhood experience was, what your childhood health was like, what your teenage years were like and how healthy you were in those teenage years. I think that does impact a lot what happens in your 20s after that too hey, look i've said this for many years for me 18 is too young like 18 is too young to buy alcohol buy cigarettes it's too young to vote i don't think any 18 year old should be voting i think yeah i agree I, when i was 18 <laughs> i didn't care like i was just going there and, and you know choosing the party you know whatever party it was that had the best sounding name i was like yep that's what i want and you give no thought to it you just you just do it and it's you know the same with the alcohol and cigarettes so i don't believe an 18 year old and this was when I was working in nightclubs, I used to see the difference in, you know, the amount of bullshit and drama and, and, you know, that used to go on 
with people that are typically the younger ones, 18, 19. Um, look, you still get, you still had trouble with the older ones, but primarily it was it's like the really young ones, 18, 19. Um, and that's just a maturity thing. And you sort of, as you, they get a little bit older, they're more reasonable. They don't carry on as much. They don't get into fights as much. Um, yep. Look, I do. Th- I think America's got it some, look, with the, the 21 there to buy alcohol. And I think that's quite reasonable. I think, I, I think so too. I think that's a much better age to be able to buy alcohol and cigarettes and vote. And then you I think that's yourself, a much smarter is the age. Brain. It is, but also the like development of the brain, like an 18 year old's brain, um, it's not fully developed, surely. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, so again, damage um, to a developing brain by drinking on the weekends, and it, it's not good. No, I agree. I, I totally agree, especially when you're having alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people, the damage that people do to themselves in, in their teenage years really comes back to hit them in their 20s and in their 30s. And I, I do talk to a lot of people who are fixing uh, adolescent you know, poor eating habits and poor behavior well into their twenties and thirties. So, but because we don't have the maturity to understand that, I think that you think you're invincible because you just tend to recover fast. You know, you, you, you don't have hangovers. So therefore it's fine. You can keep doing that, you know, but well, it does, it does, it does come and bite you in the ass later. I find. It does. You know what? So we went out, um, my wife and the kids, we all went out last weekend. I uh, just for dinner. And I think she had, she had one drink. I had like one beer and a few sips of a Canadian club. And uh, I don't drink, like ever, I don't drink. So like later that night, we only had one, like I had one and a half, she had one. And later that night, we're like, well, I don't feel good. Like, I don't feel good. I don't feel great. I feel sluggish. I just don't feel good. And she said, yeah, I'm the same. I don't know how people go on benders. Like, I couldn't do it. Honestly, I was feeling it. Even the next morning, she found it harder to get up in the morning. She took, like, longer to wake up. She wasn't as clear-headed. Yeah. it's incredible because when you're 18, 19, you drink, you know, till you pass out, you wake up in the morning feeling brand new. It's um, Yeah, that's right. But really that, that really that's, I mean, it's normal, I suppose, to some extent for like, we don't turn over cells as fast anymore. We don't make, we don't make energy and ATP in our mitochondria as well anymore. Like those things do slow down. And especially, especially someone's genetics are quite, uh, I guess, problematic or impaired where, they have, they tend to have inflammatory genes and they tend to have detoxification issues that might, those genes may not trigger in their adolescence, but the, but, but if they expose themselves to that much toxin, those genes turn on because they tend to in some people and boom, you've got, you've got the, the inflammation and all these problems that then come up in your twenties or thirties. So yeah, it's an interesting area because I see a lot of people who have had, you know, chronic fatigue for a long time or they say to me I've had gut issues for 10 years or um, anxiety for a long time and they I look at their genetic reports and sure enough they've got all impaired genes for inflammatory markers so they tend to be chronically inflamed genetically and then some detox pathways don't work very well like glutathione they don't make glutathione very well or they or they're missing that gene altogether you know all these things right come together to make the perfect storm of someone who pushed it too hard, too fast, and then has all these problems later. It's very interesting. And, and you know, only yesterday we, we had a phone conversation and I was talking to you about how with the change of my diet and lifestyle in the past few months that things like my knees feel fantastic, um, which I have no doubt is was due to inflammation. What, what I was dealing with was definitely inflammation. And now that seems to have cleared up. 
Um, it's just incredible, like the way because I was having at times I thought it was really bad. I was having anti-inflammatories, but um, you know you shouldn't be having them. They're not the best things for you. But um, it, it got really bad. But it's incredible, just what a change, an overall change to your body, the way you feel, and it's been something that I'm still learning about what my body likes and doesn't like. I mean, that's what I was talking to you before about diets. That you know all these diets. I mean, we're all different all of us are different. Like someone might go keto and feel fantastic and have no issues and be sweet. And other people will struggle with certain things. Uh, same yeah. with meat. Um, you know, some people that have meat, they have high inflammation and they go vegan or plant-based and they're fine. And sometimes it's in reverse. So there's no sort of one size fits all to diet. And that's why I'm no, always that's right. trialing mm. different things and seeing how I feel. And, and look, we're the best judge of ourselves, like how we feel. If we eat a certain way for a few months and, you know, we feel good, then stick to it, obviously. But uh, just, you know, blindly following someone, you know, um, there's many people I follow uh, online, I mean, Carnivore MD, uh, Paul, I don't know his last name, starts with S, Paul, um, <laughs> Dr. Sean yeah, Baker, yeah. Uh, the yeah. Carnivore MD, the one that originally wrote the, the Carnivore diet do you, um, book do you follow Sorry? do you follow dr mark hyman and dr stephen lynn at all no i've so, the names sound very familiar yeah mark hyman is quite um famous in the u.s for he's developed what's called uh, i think uh i think it's called it a pescatarian sort of diet um uh but he he basically from a pagan diet he calls it that's right or pagan pagan pagan, pagan. um Pagan diet. So he wrote a book about it, actually, um, it, it, where he says, eat, eat foods, low in sugar and starch, eat lots of plant foods. If you're going to eat animal foods, eat sustainably grown or harvested foods and have foods that have lots of good fats like nuts and seeds, olive oil and avocado. So it's the, I feel that's kind of the fundamentals of good eating for anyone is that you want to be like, like everyone's still, like, in my opinion anyway, and from all the research and microbiome reports that I've seen in people, everyone needs some animal foods and I know that um, from a I guess ethical perspective I can understand vegan and vegan diets from an ethical perspective but I do believe that we can sustainably grow and harvest um, you know sustainable farming practices for to eat animals but I think the problem is is that there, there isn't that set up so much in society and that um, probably people eat too much meat rather than just the right amount for them you know um, and Dr. Stephen Lynn promotes um, ancestral diets because he he likes he likes to follow the Western A Price uh, type dieting or nutrition, I suppose, where um, Western A Price visited all these um, uh, tribal communities uh, like a, some decades ago. He was, I think, back I can't remember how long ago. Well, 1948 was when he died, but sort of early 1900s, I guess, he would have visited all of these. Um, communities of tribes and noticed that they didn't have tooth decay they didn't have arthritis they didn't have any of the western problems that we have and he also noticed that they these people didn't have crowded teeth they didn't have facial structure problems and so he did so western a price is a whole organization now that dedicates to ancestral dieting basically an ancestral kind of eating um, where you eat basically what Mark Hyman says, where you eat some plant-based, but you're still eating animal as well because you need that B12 and you need creatine and you need all these different um, K2 uh, vitamins as well that are really important for the proper development of 
um, bone structure and the jaw as well. So really interesting to delve into that. I find to me that is. What, what, that what is, was the name of the website? Just quickly. I'm trying to write it down. Uh, Western A. Price. So Weston W-E-S-T-O-N. So Weston A. Price. If you look at Weston. Yeah, if you look at Western A price, you'll it'll, it's a whole other rabbit hole in a way. But I really agree with that kind of the book. If you wrote a book on it, um, I should get that book. I've been meaning to get that book. And in the book, he concludes that aspects of the modern Western diet, in particular, like uh, having too much flour, sugar, and, and modern processed vegetable fats, has caused nutritional deficiencies that then cause dental issues and the chronic health problems we're seeing in our society today. And that we need to go back to ancestral ways of eating. So, okay, so Western A. Price is a dentist, Canadian dentist, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, got him. I'll definitely look into that. Oh, look, I believe that. And that's the way I try and eat. As you can probably see by my, my stories I put up occasionally, I really do try and yeah. eat an ancestral diet and I don't overthink it. That's a big thing because in the past, I've, yeah. I've, you know, I've thought too much, oh, you know, and really, I mean, if you could eat it a thousand years ago, eat it. But you know, when you go to the supermarket, you see these foods, like you can barely call it food. Like it's just packaged shit in a can. It's like, well, you know, it's, but yet the health stars have been going on about that lately because that frustrates me because they'll have something like, there's many, like, for example, um, diet lemonade is four stars out of five on the health star system, right? Oh, wow. But there is no way. Diet lemonade is four stars out of five. White bread loaf. There's a, I think it was Coles branded white bread. Four, uh, four stars. It might have been four and a half stars out of five. Um, white bread. I'm like, hey, that's not possible. Like, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who are just, you know, maybe no fault of their own, that is uneducated in nutrition, and they just they believe that, and they go, okay, yeah. well, yeah, four stars out of five. That's good for me. I mean, two minute yeah. noodles is like three stars. Out of five, oh. like there's nothing at all beneficial in a packet of, of two minute noodles. No, but there's not. And and, and three in fact, stars. The, and in fact, the condiments that come with it are even worse than the noodles themselves. They're flavored you know, salt. Let's be honest, it's flavored salt. Yep, yep. And it's the wrong kind of salt, and it's the wrong kind of, uh, you know, flavors which are mostly MSG based, and they do cause problems in brain, in brain chemistry, like massive problems. Like I was, I was doing a course a short course through endeavor college looking at artificial sweeteners emulsifiers and we we do know that artificial sweeteners alter the gut microbiome and they it can cause glucose intolerance um and and it, you know cause people to have higher than normal sugar levels so they're not they're not a substitute they really aren't they're more harmful than any than, than just having the sugar so yeah but do they I do they do they add? Do they cause weight gain like sugar does? Yes, some research has indicated that um, they've done some research in mice um, where they put the microbes from obese humans into a mouse, and then the mouse gained a lot of weight. So there's implications of a disrupted microbiome as a result of artificial sweeteners that then cause weight gain. There you go. Because a lot of people choose the you know the no sugar options. A lot of people that are overweight think that you know they're doing themselves a favor by getting diet coke or you know diet lemonade instead of the full sugar and and there's a lot more to nutrition and that's they sort of simplify it it's too simplified where they think okay eat this gain weight bad eat this lose weight good yep. and there's so yeah, much cause, cause, more to it because 
because the problem is they're thinking too much that again a lot of, a lot of people still think uh, calories in equals calories out and if you have artificial sweeteners then they don't have calories and therefore you're not adding extra calories so therefore you should be able to lose weight and it's completely wrong thinking because in my mind if you want to have a stable weight and not worry about your weight so much you have to focus on good gut health you have to focus on a good microbiome diversity good microbiome function you want your back you want the right bacteria to be present you want to be making butyrate propionate which helps um, balance blood glucose it helps control inflammation it makes energy you want that to be functioning well and you want your gut lining to be in a really good place so that you have that you know you have that mucus lining that protects you against leaky gut you know or i think that people don't realize just how powerful it is to do microbiome testing because all of that's looked at so if you want to optimize your diet for you in my mind you would do a microbiome test first and yeah and because I, i often do that for people because people come to see me because I want to do a microbiome test and get educated in what their gut is doing and why they've got some problems. So I, my role is to do the testing and explain everything in detail and then summarize it all for them with some diet recommendations. Um, so what I often do is say when they've done that test as a minimum, and sometimes I'll do the nutrigenomic DNA test as well, all of those findings, I can really write up a proper diet plan for someone because that's, a hundred percent based on what they need right now. And, a and you power, can, it's a powerful tool, isn't it? I mean, it's a really it's so powerful. So I've, I've done a few now for people where they've said to me, look, this year, I am too overwhelmed from all the DNA and microbiome stuff, even though I've explained it obviously, and I've summarized it in an easy to digest format. It's still overwhelming because it's the first time they've seen this stuff. So I can understand it's, it's the first time they've, they've kind of come across this, and this level of detail in their, in their health. So then they'll say, okay, can you just tell me what to eat? <laughs> so then I'll go, no worries. And they'll, they'll get the, uh, they'll purchase whatever level of, of nutrition plan they, they want from me. And then I'll actually sit down and I'll go through their reports again and I'll pick out the foods that best suit their healing and best suit their, their genetic expression and, and their G and their microbiome. And then I'll, I'll do a seven day basic meal plan for them. And I think that's really helpful. It's because then they're eating, yeah, because then they're eating according to what suits the findings of their reports and also suits their lifestyle and also suits, um, I guess, like uh, calories as well. Like, I mean, you do have to count, like, you do have to, I do have to work out the calories to do the right macros, but it's suitable for them, you know? Well, I spoke to um, Jackson, Jackson Tippett, a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. And he, um, you did his, is that correct? For, I, yeah, I did, I, yeah, I did. I did his DNA test. So I, I went onto his podcast and I said, let's do your DNA test so that you experience it all. And then we'll do the, the um, podcast. Yeah. Cause he spoke very highly about it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. He spoke oh, really nice highly about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, I said, I've been meaning to do it now for, since I first spoke to you. Um, it's just, I need to do it, but it's, it's a very powerful tool. And as I said, look, we're all different. And that's why I find that when doctors give advice to people, it's just generic advice. Like it's just don't have sugar, you know, don't watch. And, and like, well, that's a big misconception is that all calories are equal. They're not. Mm. Um, and, you know, some people, I think it was my mother. She told me that her doctor told her not to eat fruit after 4 p.m. Otherwise she'll gain weight. I'm like, what? 
but that's yeah, what, yeah. that's the type of information that doctors are, are giving out. They don't have yeah. they're full of sugar. Uh, don't have grapes and apples. They're full of sugar after four pm, or you put weight on. I'm like, so you mean to tell me if that's all you ate, if you had a good diet and you had a few grapes after four pm, you'd gain weight? No, you wouldn't. That's bullshit. No way. No, no, that's, no, that's not true. Yeah, that's but they true. don't know. Right. That's that. That's the problem. They a lot of doctors and people go to doctors for nutrition advice, and you, like they're the wrong people to be asking. It's a shame, I think, because the problem is, is that most people can't afford to pay for a microbiome test because it's not that cheap. And, and then it, for me to go through it with them, it's, it's an hour consult plus I'll spend another half an hour going through their report again after to do a, a good summary for them via email that they can actually follow and understand so that they're not feeling like it's overwhelming talking to someone in a one hour consult and you go through all this stuff and they walk away going, so what just happened? Especially if they don't have a basic understanding. Like of, of, yes. I think if you were to speak to me about it or even someone who's relatively has, has a, at least a basic understanding of what you're talking about, you could probably go through it in the hour. But to someone who has no idea about anything, well, I speak to people sometimes and they don't even know what microbiome is. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, those, exactly. Yeah, you need more than an hour. Well, you do. I mean, I... I if I could, I would spend two hours, but then it's a long time, um, right? And I would have to charge more, which I don't want to do. So I try and make things reasonable. So what I do is I go through the report again and I summarize everything we talked about in our consult and then key findings and recommendations for what they can implement and should implement now. And if they need to see a naturopath, for uh, some people have pretty severe problems that need a very very detailed protocol with some very key supplements that need right dosages and they're pretty hardcore. I will refer them out to naturopaths that I work with. And then I'll forward through all my findings to them because some people have very severe problems in their gut and they don't even realize because they think that um, all the years of, of gut pain and or diarrhea, chronic diarrhea, chronic constipation, or a lot of bloating and gas is just their way of life when it's actually quite, it's actually quite bad. You know, so that's the kind of you, thing that I help with. What's what's the right amount of like what's a, a normal amount of times um, to shit each day? Is one it, to two times a day. One to two times a day, yeah. Because some people, yes, many people, I spend. They go, I go to the toilet once every two or three days. I'm like, man, that's not normal. No, that's no, not. That's no, not. If you, so there's a if people Google the Bristol stool chart, it's called the Bristol stool chart. That shows you it's got like, um, I think, six levels from memory um, of the types of stool, that, what it looks like. And, yeah. and it tells you what's considered constipation and what's normal. And in that, you'll see that even if you poop every day, but it's pellety, you're constipated. And so there's, there's seven types. So if it's small, hard lumps like nuts, you're constipated. If it's sausage shaped and lumpy, like it was, and it's all very large, like it was hard for it to come out, but it was, you know, you're constipated. So you need to have like a type three, type four, where it's smooth and it's like a sausage shape um, and it's properly formed. If you're doing a decent, fully formed banana shaped poop every day, then that's good. So what it looks like and the color matters. Okay. So that's a, I'm, looking, yeah. I'm looking at the that scale now. Yeah. You know what? I've never, I have been, that's all I have been, but very rarely, <laughs> like I'm talking about maybe once, probably in my, you know, in the last 10 years, I've been maybe constipated once or twice. Like I never constipated ever. 
that's really one good. thing I've never really experienced. Um, and I always go to the toilet. I go, I'm very routine with it, but it's good because I know, uh, you know, some people shit randomly. I'm like, how do you even plan your day? Because I'm very, I, I could never, <laughs> I, 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 I could never ever go to a public toilet. I, I could never, well, I couldn't sit on a public toilet, put it that way. No way. So it's good. I'm like, okay, I'll go to shit in the morning and then I'm free the rest of the day. Some people are like, oh, I, I don't know, it's just random. I'm like, man, I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, I so, couldn't live. So- so what's interesting and what people, what naturopaths often do is, is um, do the corn test with people. So you'll eat corn and you have to check your stool and see when, this, when that corn passes out so you know what, how long your transit time is. So everyone has a different transit time with their poop. Um, and it's interesting because it, um, some people have long transit times and so it, it may be that you, you kind of do poop um, at random times in the day, like, so, so normal transit time is anywhere between 12 to 24 hours. So, but it can vary from 12 to 48 hours from ingestion through to excretion. And the 48 so, hours are still considered normal? For some people, but I, I would think 48 hours is a long time. It seems to be a long so that, time. Because that means that it's taken two days for you to like digest a meal. And in that time, you would have had other meals, right? Yeah. Of course, so imagine I mean. seems- all that. It seems like quite a long time and you'd be quite, if that's two days, you'd be quite stuffed, wouldn't you, you'd imagine? I would say you're probably looking more at thinking that you're constipated if that's the case. But I would say that 24 hours, it sounds, would be pretty ideal that, you know, if you ate a meal today, it would come out tomorrow. But even 12 hours is normal as well. So, Uh you know, and the type of food you eat affects that. So if you're having a lot of um, fiber, water, and you're exercising, you should have good transit times where you're passing your stool um, in, a, in a good 12 to 24 hour period. But if you're having, say, a lot of um, a lot of gluten, a lot of bread-based goods, not much fruit fiber or vegetable fiber, then you probably would be constipated and your transit time would be longer than 24 hours because it's just not able to pass efficiently through the bowels. <laughs> Does it frustrate you that people are so weird? Like it's it's a weird topic when you talk about shit. People get really weird about it. It's like what? Is it? <laughs> what it's a shit. It's completely normal. In fact, it's probably the most normal. It's just people are very. Oh, and and and, it's, and it's such a and it's such a fundamental to our health. So, one thing I've learned in all in all this intensive study I've done the last couple of months is that first of all, if you're constipated, it means you're not moving your bile properly through your through your gut so you're not excreting bile from the liver in uh, properly to pass things through and detox properly and if you're not excreting the right amount of bile it means you're most likely constipated and if you're constipating constipated you're not detoxing so it doesn't matter if you do all any sort of detoxing protocols or whatever if you're not pooping every day you're most likely building up the toxins and you're not detoxing and the first thing that anyone should be looking at before they even consider any sort of detoxing protocols or any or getting healthier focus on pooping every day first yes it's it's that simple I, I'll be, <laughs> if, if, if i missed if i missed a day and i didn't shit i'll be thinking something's wrong like i'd be straight away onto it like i'd know something's up yep it'll yep. be so out of the ordinary for me right like always shit twice always twice a day have done for years and years and years very rarely um that doesn't happen. So it's very, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it means my stomach's, everything's working okay. But Everything's working well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, it's interesting now though because it hasn't changed because I've really cut back on 
veggies. Now, I've never been a fan of veggies, but I always ate them because that's what we're told to do, right? From the time we're, we're children is to have your veggies, have your greens. And I've struggled and it wasn't until I started eliminating certain things where I'm like, okay, well, my suspicion is true. That was the reason. So I've always suffered with a lot of bloating, especially at night after dinner, because dinner is obviously when you tend to have veggies. I mean, people don't, people rarely eat veggies during the day. As typically at night with dinner, people have veggies. Um, and I've struggled, I, I have struggled a lot with bloating and I've cut certain things out like cabbage, um, even broccoli. I've cut broccoli out. Um, I don't so were they, have were they... a great deal of greens. I, now I've, I've, I'm really focusing on fruit and a lot of sort of exotic fruit like papaya and and um, custard apples and things like that. Um, obviously bananas, uh, apples, oranges, but I've really sort of increased my fruit intake and, and I've like pretty much not completely eliminated veggies, but cut right down on them. And I feel fantastic. Like honestly, I feel great. Yeah, it sounds like you were having... So those, those broccolis and cabbages, they're high sulfur vegetables and um, some people just don't digest sulfur very well. And I would, I would say that your bacteria in your gut, it was not breaking down sulfur very well and that would result in a lot of that bloating. Um, so a hydrogen sulfide diet is what usually people do to help mitigate too much sulfur um, but having said that, Chris, sulfur is important because sulfur is what helps make glutathione. So you want you do want to have some, um, but if it's if it's definitely triggering the bloating, then you'd want to look at you want to look at that in more detail. Because well, I think it, it is. I mean, I think it is. Yeah. Well, I, I have what's onion law? Obviously, <laughs> onions got a high sulfur content. That's very obvious. But does that change when you cook it compared to eating it raw? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, so. Yeah, look, raw onion can be really hard to digest. And for me personally, it produces a lot of sulfur, hydrogen sulfide as well. So I, I, I'm, I'm careful with how much to do of, of that one as well. Um, obviously in so salads, it, yeah? Like I don't think people, yeah. people eat raw onion, but in salads, obviously, you're not going to have cooked yeah. onion in salad. But No, and, I, and sometimes it may not have any problems with cooked onion, but certainly raw is, is completely different breakdown. So, yeah. Um, do you do you have problems with eggs as well? Uh, no, not eggs. I don't have a problem with eggs. I, I have eggs probably every second day. I have a few eggs in the morning. Um, no, I don't have a problem with eggs. I, I do have a problem with chili. Anything hot. I never used to. I never used yeah. to. This is only sort of a new thing within the last two to three years. Um, I've always loved chili. Like when I was a kid, I used to eat chili like straight from the tree. Um, I've loved hot food. But in the last few years, spicy hot food, but in the last few years, I just... I guess that bloating and that happens yeah. pretty much immediately, like within 20 minutes, 30 minutes of eating. Yeah, okay. It. So you so you definitely have a sulfur problem with sulfur in foods. Yeah, so I think so. Let's yeah. talk about that offline. I think you should probably, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want you to cut out those foods forever, but you'd wanna you'd wanna deal with that so you can slowly put them back in. Um, because sulfur and hydrogen sulfide breakdown in the gut can be a sign of SIBO. Um, so something to consider and think about. Um, and what's so a lot of people... SIBO? Are, I don't know what's SIBO. So SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Okay. And it's, it's, a, it's an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine. Um, your body naturally gets rid of too much bacteria in the small intestine because it, it really shouldn't be there in, in very high amounts at all because most of your bacteria live in your 
in your large bowel, not, not your small intestine. So, so many things can trigger having too much bacteria in the small intestine. And when you have too much and, and the wrong ones, they cause all that bloating and gas when you have sulfur in the diet. So to, I just tested myself for it because I suspect I have SIBO after having my second child. I had an emergency cesarean and I suspect I've contracted some sort of pathogenic bug in the hospital that's caused me to have SIBO. That's my theory because I've had gut issues ever, ever, ever since the second child was born. It was like, boom, gut issues. So um, I, I, could, I, I used to eat like bad cabbage or broccoli. Within two or three hours, I'd be vomiting. Like it oh, was wow. that bad for me. And, and it's slowly, I, I've worked on it really hard. So now I can have those foods again and I'm fine. But it took, it took probably 18 months of intensive work on my gut. When you, when you say then, work on your gut, what are you referring to? So I had to go on specific probiotics, specific prebiotics. Um, I cut out, I went on a low sulfur diet. So not, none of those cruciferous vegetables like cabbage and broccoli so that I wouldn't be triggered. And then I uh, had to go uh, completely gluten-free because gluten, gluten triggers me as well. Um, and, and I did more, more fruit and vegetables that were low sulfur um, and nothing processed. I had to go really clean. And for me, the cleaner I am with my diet, I, I, I have like basically no problem. But it's a moment all the processed foods come in because you go to a party and you're like, Oh, whatever, I'll just eat that. And, mm. and you know, all and, and sugar. Like if I have, if I have too much cake or desserts, it's, it's within a day or two, I'm back with those gut problems, like the, the abdominal pain and the bloating and the gas. So I know that I've triggered, I, I feel that I end up getting an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine and it just triggers it. And it just comes that becomes cyclic for me. And now I've done another, I've done, I've done my IBS microbiome test just to rule out IBS and I've done the SIBO test, which the SIBO test is actually a, a breath test. You have to do, you have to take like a solution of fructose, like which is just sugar in water and you do a breath test every half hour and you take seven samples. So you do it over like a three hour period and yeah. you it's testing for the bacterial species that are literally growing in that time and to see what it is that you're reacting to. And some people can be diagnosed with like hydrogen sulfide SIBO where specifically hydrogen sulfide is a problem. And then you got to go on a very specific, what's called a biphasic diet in some cases, or even FODMAPs. There's different kinds of diets that you would do and you would do very specific strains of bacteria, probiotics. So that's another thing. Probiotics is not a one size fits all. People think I'm just going to go take that random probiotic and not realizing that it's actually doing nothing or it's the completely wrong strains for them. So um, probiotics are extremely powerful as a therapeutic when you have problems like, like SIBO or like gut problems, but you need to know exactly which strains to take. Well, I've had them before. Like when I, I do look, I'm not, um, I just literally go down and just <laughs> grab them. I don't really put much thought into it, which I, which now that you've mentioned that I will, but Whenever I have like a, a stomach bug or something of that nature, I always make sure that I have a course of, of probiotics to just put some good bacteria back in my stomach. Because I'm obviously, when you have a stomach bug, it's not good, obviously. So, um, no, that's right. Yeah, so I, it does point... work, I think, because I, obviously I do feel better and or any issues that I might have. Because every time I have a, I wouldn't say every time, I don't have them regularly, obviously, but when I do um, have stomach bugs, you know, I, I do feel it sort of a few weeks after it 
you know, after the vomiting or diarrhea, I will feel, I won't feel good for a few weeks afterwards. Like something's just off. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because you have that overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria and then it takes a while for the good guys to, to come back again and fix everything up. Because really uh, the, your good bacterial strains should, should work together because they do work as colonies in the gut to get rid of the problematic um, bacterial strains in there and 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 so you, you should resolve yourself it should resolve by itself but a good probiotic to take is called saccharomyces boulardii and that's a or you just look it's called sb as well for short that's a really good one to take for gastros and stomach bugs because that that one really helps mop mop everything up sb okay yeah Hold that's on. been a lifesaver for me because after i had my second child, I kept getting gastros because I had that dysbiosis going on in my gut. And um, it is a therapeutic um, uh, probiotic as well. So a lot of people, a lot of naturopaths will put people just on that one for a while because it's, it's very therapeutic. So it's a really good one just to have uh, in your fridge or in the cupboard. Well, they don't have to be, they don't have to be refrigerated necessarily, but um, it's a really good one just to have in, 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 your, in your kitchen when you do get because it really helps mop things up. I'll, um, I'll take note of that and that's some good information. Now, let me ask you, in regards to carnivore diet, what's your thoughts on the carnivore diet? Because obviously there's different levels, right, of, of you can go like to the extreme where all you eat is meat and then you've got variations where you can you know, add a bit of fruit in, add a bit of uh, raw dairy, add a bit of honey and things like that in. What's your thoughts on the carnivore diet as a, as a whole? I, if you were to be really hardcore, because I've seen some accounts on Instagram that are, I think one one that you mentioned I follow as well, um, where they're probably Is that the bullshit? Board. Is that the guy who's like, is this bullshit? Is that him? Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's that guy. Oh, but, um, the kale is bullshit, that guy. you never seen him? That, that's that, um, no. <laughs> I'll tell you his name, because yeah. honestly, he's, the, he's very, um, I love his account. He really highlights a lot of things he speaks about all sorts of things like radiation and he was the one that sort of made me aware of the issues with airpods i didn't realize just how much emf was was transmitted through airpods like it's bad so yes i um, know i know I, and i and i you know i i tend to go back and forth when it comes to emfs that sometimes i'm like not nah, i'm cutting everything out and other times i'm like i'm so good being scared of everything you know like i i it's it's, it's it's i, I tough, get it isn't it it's tough. Yeah, it uh, so there you go. It so it, it's his username on Instagram is carnivoremd2.0 and his name is Dr. Paul Saladino. So he's the one that I find. He's the one that sort of gets things, walks in a supermarket, grabs certain items and goes, guys, kale is bullshit and explains why all the problems <laughs> associated with it. And it, 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 it's very informative. And you know what he's yeah, – but again, yeah. you know, if you do a quick Google search, you'll find so much, so much contradictory information. Um, that's the oh, problem. Yes. Well, so, 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 so look, I, I will always advocate a balanced diet because if you're having just meat, so that's just it's just meat. So you're having what you know, and and by by carnivore is it also fish or just? Um, you know? he does he does have fish, but he, he again he's particular. I'm the same with fish. I don't just have any fish. I'm very aware of you know certain fishes have you know higher heavy metal content than others. So yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so, he's I mean, very I, mean I, I think I mean. You know, you definitely, you, you need plants, but you need the plants. You need the plants and you need the fruit because otherwise what is going to feed your microbiome? It's not going to be any, it's not going to be meat. 
It's not going to be fish because that gets digested um, and, and absorbed. It, it doesn't make it to the large bowel. It just doesn't. So you have to have like those bacterial strains like butyrate producers and all that, they thrive on your legumes and your fruit um, and oats, for example, and all the varieties of vegetables. That's what they live off. So the problem is if you're not feeding them, they will disappear. And sometimes you don't get them back. So I, don't, I, I wouldn't advocate a carnivore diet. I mean, I think there's therapeutics, there's therapeutic diets, like, you know, ketogenic diet, does help a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause when they're more, more ketogenic in some cases. Um, and, and people can heal more on a ketogenic diet in some cases. But again, it depends what you're eating because you have to make sure that you're not eating foods just because they're keto doesn't mean they're going to be good for you necessarily. Um, if, you're, if you're lactose intolerant, then you, shouldn't, you can't be having all the cottage cheese and you know milk or, or cheese and all that other stuff if you're you know, on a ketogenic diet just because it's a fat, you know? So I, I don't, I, and I have met people who healed immensely on a carnivore diet, but I wouldn't think that you should be doing that long-term at all. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is it something that I think you could probably definitely benefit from it um, for as in like maybe a month or three months of eating that way. Um, and look, there's no question about it. I mean, if you were to go carnivore, you'll definitely lose weight. Like there's no ifs or buts, you will lose weight um and but again it's the question of long term but then the same thing can be said about vegans and plant-based i mean when i look at the doctors like for example paul saladino or sean baker especially sean baker dr sean baker um who i'm still waiting he's supposed to come on the show a while ago but anyway yeah he's um he's brilliant and not only that but he's physique now if you look at anyone who is around he's in his 50s this guy like he's in his 50s and he is a physical specimen like, I mean, a physical specimen. Now, if you look at someone who's maybe of a similar age and primarily plant-based, and there's many of them, they look like shit. <laughs> they do. Yeah, yeah. They look like shit. I, they all I, look I, unhealthy and just unwell. Yes. Well, well I, I did a, the mastermind I did with MTHFR Australia. I asked the question about what do you, what do you think about vegan vegetarian diets? Because my biggest concern, there's a couple of things here, because I did a lot of research the other day about um, – how healthy being vegan or vegetarian is during pregnancy and the the american nutrition association says it's totally fine when it's carefully controlled and then i looked in, i went down the rabbit hole of studies to find well what what was the outcomes of things like zinc and magnesium and b12 and especially iron. you know creatine iron uh d3k2 all these different vitamins and it basically said that in most cases it was problematic that um these people had nutrient deficiencies to a big extent. So I feel that when I went down to all and really unravel these studies, that it didn't actually show that it was beneficial. And it kept cautioning against doing it without supervision and doing it without really good in-depth knowledge of what it is that you're actually eating and how much you're eating of it all. And I think um, I'm making, I'm wondering if with carnivore, and even vegan or vegetarian diets is that are people seeing these health benefits because they're actually cutting up all the cutting out the processed crap? Is that I'm wondering if it's because you know suddenly you're theory. sticking to this diet that if you're going carnivore, you're you're going to cut out all the fast food, you're going to cut out all the all the soft drinks and the sugars and the alcohol. 
all of that's out and all of those things are inflammatory and you're giving a you're getting a large amount of good fats and if you're eating fish you're getting good omega-3s which is anti-inflammatory you're getting your b12s you're getting your creatine you're getting all these high amounts of nutrients which your body was probably starved of because you were filling most of your calories potentially with a lot of bread and processed grains and food like that well i feel like a lot of people do that and and that's something that i've been guilty of in the past as well and you know it's very easy just in the morning to get up have a big bowl of cereal and let's be honest, ninety-five percent of the cereal out there is it's full of shit. There's nothing good yeah. about it. It's yeah. just sugar. Um, yeah. and, you know, and they're or maybe even having, you know, four slices of toast for breakfast, something like that. And you know, I've really cut that out. Now, even for breakfast, where I used to have maybe egg on toast, I don't have the I'll still have I'll also have bacon and eggs or something. Um, but I don't have the bread. And and since I've cut out bread, I've really cut out bread, um, which is probably the biggest thing. Um that I've, I've just wiped out completely and I feel a lot better. And what I've noticed since I've cut out a lot of the bad carbs, like, you know, the breads and all the other things, I find that I don't have a, I don't crash. So I don't get sort of that mid afternoon fatigue yep, um, yep, or even yep. that period of time after you eat it, where you just feel like shit, you feel sluggish. Um, which yeah, is obviously your body not, trying to process it all. Yeah. It's your, it's your, it's your insulin spike that it causes. So it raises the insulin really quickly and then it, crashes really fast and then you feel really tired and and i think that is probably why you're feeling a lot better because your sugar levels are pretty stable all day now rather than going up and down and spiking all the time the problem is the issue is carbs i mean where do you get your carbohydrates from mainly um i eat a lot of sweet potato potatoes carrots pumpkin um i do eat rice um vegetables like you know like your leafy greens and tomatoes um cucumbers um capsicums onion uh i do eat corn as well sometimes that's where i get most of my carbs from so most so, of those foods so, are you'd eat later on in the day wouldn't you i mean you wouldn't really have sweet no, potato or potato for breakfast would you not not I mean, for breakfast but i'll but i will have that for lunch and dinner yeah okay so, so a lot of people don't so, wouldn't have that for that's what i mean because if you get those carbs in you know, a lot of people don't have that for lunch or for breakfast. So they wouldn't be getting those carbohydrates until the night or to the evening. Yeah. I mean, but, I, but Yeah. And it depends where you, it depends where you normally eat and what you're choosing. I mean, a lot of us do eat out at lunch because we're working, but I'm, I'm very picky about which cafes I eat from and what their menu is. So I have my, I have my go-tos that I like to, to, to refer to. And, and sometimes I don't, actually have even lunch i'll have a late breakfast i'll eat a lot i'll eat around 10 or 11 and then i'll do i'll do eggs and avocado and i'll do gluten-free bread um in that meal um because i i really struggle with gluten i can't handle it much at all so i do eat gluten-free as much as i can gluten, but gluten it, is a big problem gluten is a i think a lot of people that are intolerant to gluten but they still eat it there's a lot of people out there who are intolerant but they just continue to eat it because maybe they don't realize that they're intolerant yeah. to gluten well i think people people seem to think that if they're not celiac then therefore gluten isn't the problem but that's not true you can definitely have non-celiac gluten intolerance that's that's definitely a thing that's that's real um and you can have a lot of inflammation as a result of gluten um, because a lot of people these days have a problem with histamine. They just tend to have a lot of high histamine floating around and that gives you the gut issues and the chronic sinus and migraines and anxiety and post-nasal drip um, and skin issues and itchiness. So that 
that comes from histamine and and gluten is high like bread is high histamine so that's probably what they're reacting to as well um and they're not realizing just because they think that because because they're not celiac then therefore it's not an issue but i know that i'm not celiac but i'm definitely gluten intolerant so it's worth exploring it's definitely worth exploring it's the most important part like people neglect it and it's like it's so important for everything like it's the way you feel it's you know it can be the difference of of you know people sometimes people are depressed due to their bad diets like it causes yes. so many issues especially not just physical but mental and it's like you need to focus like spend your stop watching fucking tiktok videos stop wasting your time and start, <laughs> like, seriously like start focusing on it, it's trial and error i mean you know add some things to your diet eliminate some things just see how you feel i mean it's a lifelong journey and it is it, it, look, it, no it, it definitely is a no, there's not. And I think that you have to realize that people have to realize that healing, healing your body and getting that diet right does take time and it does take effort and it does take changing your habits. And that's hard because um, people don't want to change their breakfast because that, that gives them a lot of comfort. They like it. They don't want to, you know, it's hard. It's hard to change habits. So it took yeah. me a while to get to get rid of gluten, but it was so obvious when I did put it back in that that's what I was reacting to. So it's it's a no brainer once you really feel good, like you have, Chris. You know now it's just no going back. Oh, you don't because you, you don't want to feel like that. Once you get out of that, and you and sometimes people, you know, you think it's normal. Like you think feeling a certain way is normal. It's normal to have aches and pains. It's normal to you know, have heartburn. It's normal to have bloating. And once you realize, hold on a second, no, it's not normal. And I actually feel fantastic. There is no way you'll go back, but it's um, incredible. And listen, I'm aware that you have to go. So I'll let yep. you go now and get to your other meeting, <laughs> yep. but I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure. We'll definitely do this again. Yeah. We could talk all day, Chris, but thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate um, your time. And, and um, I, I, by the way, I follow all the accounts that you've had to create over, oh. over the last year. <laughs> It's a, nightmare. So I, I, it's a shame because you had such a good following in the first account. You were, you were heading towards that hundred K mark. And I think, you know, the censorship and all that has caused for you to have to create multiple accounts and not everyone sees that. And so it's hard to move your audience, you know, shift them over, you know, look, it is hard, but I always look at it like, you know what, the, the ones that have followed me over there are the followers I want. I mean, if, you know, if people don't yeah. follow you and not interested, that's fine. I mean, that's okay. But I'd rather, you know, 25,000 of, you know, engaged followers than 70,000 and, you know, you know, half of them aren't engaged. So um, yep. it is a shame yep, that 100%. you have to do these things, but yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, Lucia, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chris, and uh, talk soon.